Please open your Bible with me once again to the book of the Psalms. Psalm 35. And look there with me in verse 9. Psalm 35, verse 9. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. Beloved, God's Word sets forth unmistakably and clearly how that our salvation is His salvation. And why is that? Well, because He's the author and finisher of it. You see, Christ is everything in salvation. Indeed, Christ is all and in all. My one ardent prayer for you who hear me preach is that God would be pleased to save you through the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the gospel of His darling Son and His sin-atoning sacrifice. Even though the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, even so, beloved, Unto you which are saved, it is the power of God. And so that is my one prayer for you, that God would be pleased to save you through the preaching of Christ and Christ alone. You see, all true saving faith is summed up in this one statement from God's Word. Christ is all and in all. We read in God's Word, As many as received Him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So are you one of the many who have received Christ? If you're trusting Christ with all of your salvation, you are. How do you receive him? The Apostle John tells us it is through believing on his name. And what a blessed name it is. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Beloved, our Heavenly Father shall supply all your need. And we only have one need, my friend, and that's Christ. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, his beloved, well-pleasing Son. So, Pastor, what do you believe? Everything I believe, everything that we believe, beloved, and everything we have in salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the believer does not merely have something called righteousness. It's like a uniform that I can put on, or for that matter, that I could take off. No, no. Rather, Christ is our righteousness. Nor do believers have a thing called sanctification, whereby we keep ourselves holy. Oh, no. Rather, Christ is our sanctification. He is our holiness. Nor do believers have a thing called wisdom. It's not like we gain knowledge of things throughout the years. Rather, we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. You see, beloved, Christ is our wisdom. And I pray that we do grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is our wisdom. Indeed, everything we know about God and everything we know about how God saves sinners is in Christ. Everything we know about God is who Christ is and what Christ has done. You see, the believer does not have what the world calls a Christian life. As I was just saying to Harry next door, 
I'm not here to teach you how to walk a better life or walk a better walk or, or live a Christian life. Rather, I'm here to preach Christ because Christ is our life. And if God is pleased, he will teach you. Our Lord declares, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That's everything, my friend. You see, it's not coming to doctrines that's life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love the doctrine of Christ. But this salvation we have, well, it's not found coming to a theological position. Rather, it's coming to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he only is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. And my friend, if your hope is in Christ, you don't have some wishful hope, like I hope this will happen. No, no. Rather, beloved, we have a sure hope because Christ is our hope and he's our comfort. Indeed, Christ is the captain, the completer, the author and the finisher of our salvation. Indeed, he is all and in all. You see, in salvation, the believer does not have something you can sum up on a piece of paper. Salvation is not backing up one verse with another verse. That's not the salvation God's people have. Nor is salvation some heady doctrinal position. It's not a collection of points you figured out. Rather, salvation is when God reveals himself in you through the person of his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Isaiah, if you would, Isaiah chapter 12. I love the way Paul gives his testimony. He doesn't say merely that God was pleased to reveal Christ to him, but ever so blessedly in him. And in Isaiah chapter 12, if you'll look there with me in verse 2, God's word declares, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. You see, my friend, salvation is a person. My Lord and God has become all my salvation. Christ is my salvation. Now, this morning, I have three points that I want us to look at as we consider the first three verses of Psalm 35 to show us how that Christ is everything in salvation. First, how that Christ is our mediator. Christ is our mediator. Second, how that Christ is our defense. And lastly, how that Christ is our salvation. Now, first of all, Christ is our mediator. In verse 1 of Psalm 35, David says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive against me. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Now, sinners need more than a good legal argument. Sinners need an advocate, a mediator. We need an intercessor who's got something to plead before the judge of all the earth, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the mediator of his people. God's word declares, 
For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now that word mediator means a reconciler. You see, when Christ pleads for his people as their mediator, he has something to plead that is so powerful, he actually reconciles his people back to God. Christ makes it so that God is not angry with his people. Indeed, God has no reason to be angry with them anymore. For what our Lord has to plead is so powerful, he reconciles his people back to God. He makes it so they're not mad at God anymore, so that they love him and bow to him. You see, when Christ pleads for his people, he pleads everything that he is. Christ is righteousness personified. So when he pleads for his people, he pleads himself as their righteousness, indeed as our all and in all. Christ is the sacrifice. So when he pleads that his people be forgiven, all he does is plead himself that he was sacrificed for their sins, and it's always enough. Our Heavenly Father always says that's enough. When Christ pleads for his people, he never pleads about anything that they've done. Rather, he simply pleads who he is, and the Father always accepts him. And so David prays in verse 1, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Now, who is it that would strive with a believer? Well, first of all, our sin. Our sins strive against us, do they not? Our sin is against us. The mere presence of our sin pleads that we would be eternally separated from God. God declares, Your iniquities and your sins have separated between you and your God. You see, our sins are against us. Indeed, they strive against us, and our sins cry out justly for our damnation. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, constantly accuses us of sin before our Heavenly Father. And every accusation he makes is true. He's not making them up. Every accusation is true. What sorrow, what despair. The good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Well, in the face of all that, what's our hope? Beloved, our only hope is that Christ would take our case and that he will plead against our sin. God teaches us through the pen of the Apostle John, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, what will the Lord plead for the sin of his people? Very simply, he will plead himself. Indeed, he will plead his blood, for it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And when Christ pleads his sacrifice... When he pleads his blood, he just appears before his father with the scars of his sacrifice. God the judge says to the accuser, What sin? My beloved people have no sin, for their sins have been purged by the sacrifice of my beloved son. Beloved, believing sinner, don't listen to that accuser. Listen to our God. For we understand from the Gospel of Isaiah our Heavenly Father declaring, I saw the travail of my son's soul. I'm satisfied, for my righteous servant has justified many. He bore their iniquities and put away all their sins. By faith, 
we hear our Heavenly Father answering the accuser. Are you accusing my elect of sin? Are you trying to bring a charge against them? Well, I don't see any sin. It's gone. Put away by the sacrifice of my darling son, for I have justified them. Beloved, believing sinner, you and I are under the blood of Christ. That's why David prays for Christ to plead his case, because that's the only way he can be made not guilty before the all-knowing, thrice-holy God. Only Christ has blood to plead. Only Christ and his precious blood can actually cleanse from sin. David can't plead the blood of bulls and goats. He can't plead the blood that was demanded to be offered under the law. That won't take away our sins. And the sacrifices of religion today won't do it either. Now, most people in our day don't actually go out to catch a bull or a goat and offer it as a burnt offering unto God, but they still make sacrifices that they hope will make God happy with them. You know, they give up something that this sinful flesh desires, and they call it the Christian life, where you can't do this or that. You know, touch not, taste not, handle not. That, my friend, will never please God. But the blood of Christ pleases the Father because it takes away the sin that offends Him. So when Christ pleads against the sin of His people, He pleads Himself. He pleads His sacrifice. Now, not only do our sins strive against us, but further, God's justice strives against us. God's justice must be satisfied. God's going to stay God. God's going to remain holy. His justice must be satisfied. And most certainly, nothing you and I could ever do will satisfy God's justice. Our outward motions of religion, morality, and doing what is right, well, it might impress men, but that's not going to impress God. Indeed, God's Word declares, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. God had no pleasure in all the sacrifices and all the ceremonies of the Old Testament law. So don't be deceived into thinking He's going to be pleased with us. But there is one person that the Father is well pleased with, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is well pleased with the obedience of Christ, and the Father is satisfied with the perfect death of Christ. Isaiah said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. My friend, do you know why it pleased the Father to sacrifice his Son? How could he be pleased to slaughter his well-pleasing Son? My friend, the only way that his people could be saved is through the death of Christ. And he both satisfied God's justice and accomplished the salvation of his people. That's why our Heavenly Father is pleased to bruise him. Our Heavenly Father looked at that bloody, awful sacrifice of his son and said, It's enough. Salvation is finished. Justice is satisfied. It is done. And so now, beloved, when our mediator, our advocate, our intercessor comes to plead for his people, he doesn't plead against justice. He doesn't plead that the Father ignore our sins. No, no. Rather, our intercessor pleads for justice. He always asks his Father to give his people justice. Christ asked the Father 
Give my people justice and pleads himself, saying in effect, Father, I satisfied justice for them. He pleads, I am the Lord their righteousness. Father, give them justice, and because their righteousness is of me, declare them not guilty and set them free. God's word declares, the Lord is our righteousness. By the plea of himself, his people are made not guilty, so justice demands that they go free. Christ made his people not guilty by his obedience that he gave them. He made his people holy by taking their sin and putting it away under the blood of his sacrifice. So when he pleads for his people, he simply pleads himself, and the Father is satisfied, is well pleased with his beloved Son, and because of the righteousness of Christ, God is well pleased, for he has magnified the law and made it honorable by both paying its penalty and keeping it perfectly. That's the only way the Father can be satisfied. And that's why David prays for the Lord to plead his cause and to be his intercessor. For our Savior ever lives in glory to make intercession, his presence there to plead his sacrifice for his people. That's why David says there in Psalm 35, verse 22, This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence, O Lord. Be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to Christ's righteousness, which is the righteousness of God. Beloved, when Christ our Savior makes intercession for his people, he pleads himself. And when we plead to the Father, For ourselves, we've got one plea, just one plea, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. David prays, judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness. And beloved, he is our righteousness. He is our mediator. He is our salvation. So we plead him. Second, Christ is our defender. Look there at the end of verse 1. David says, Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Now David's plea is that the Lord fight against those that fight against him. And here David is referring to Saul, his armies, and the Philistines, and whoever was out to get him. And the Lord did indeed fight against those enemies, did he not? But further, there is a more specific enemy being spoken of here. Now we do see David asking the Lord to defend him, to take up the fight against those that fight against him. But I trust you know, beloved, these weapons mentioned here are used to illustrate not a literal shield, not a literal spear, but rather how we need Christ to be our defense. When the Apostle speaks about putting on the armor of God, he doesn't mean that we would use these literal things to become a literal soldier, to go off a warring in a literal war. Rather, he means put on Christ. It's so simple. Just put on Christ. Gird your loins with the truth, with Christ who is the truth. Christ is the truth we believe. He is the truth of God. So how do we put on Christ? 
How do we do that? Beloved, we do that by believing on Christ who is our strength. Gird about your loins with him. Put on the breastplate of Christ who is our righteousness. Christ is the one who protects the heart. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which is the gospel of Christ. Just look to Christ. Look and live. Christ is the one who girds our steps. We take the shield of faith in Christ. It's faith in the faithfulness of Christ to accomplish all your salvation. You see, it's Christ's faithfulness to keep us to the end. It's not our faithfulness. Rather, it's His faithfulness that's the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation. It's the helmet of Christ who is our salvation. Christ is the one who will protect your head from error. Just take Him. Take the sword of the Word, which is Christ. Beloved, this is our only weapon. It's the only weapon we use to fight against error. It's the only weapon that we use in the salvation of God's people. It's the only weapon we have to protect and comfort the hearts of His people. And you can't separate Christ, the written Word, from Christ, the incarnate Word. So just take Christ. He's our weapon. Now look again at verse 2. There in the latter part, David says, Stand up for mine help. Stand up for mine help. Beloved, believing sinner, don't be fearful. Though in this fallen world there be nothing but trouble all round, you are not defenseless. And though the enemy accuses you, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, stands up for your help. Beloved, not only does he give salvation, but he himself stood in our stead and accomplished our salvation. My friend, if Christ is the one who stands up to meet your enemies your sins, your transgressions of the law, your iniquities, your imperfect keeping of the law, Satan, the grave, death, and all your wretchedness. You can say with David, verse 4, Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. My friend, if Christ stands up for you, he'll chase them, Satan and all those that are the children of the devil. You see, there are only two groups of people in the world, just two, the children of God and the children of the devil. Verse 6. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. Let the angel of the Lord stand up and persecute them and go out to meet them. He'll run off every enemy, beloved. Look to Christ and live. He'll run off every enemy. I love to consider all those times our blessed Savior stood up for his people. In eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the eternal counsel of the Godhead, God determined he was going to save his people, for they can't save themselves. And worse yet, because of the fall of Adam, they won't save themselves. Indeed, they won't do anything to save themselves. There's none of this, well, if they take the first step, then I'll go the rest of the way. 
No, no, beloved. He saved us by bestowing his rich mercy upon us, mercy so rich and so free that it came to us unsought, unasked, undeserved. You see, if it was left to us, we wouldn't take the first step. Not only can we not take the first step, it's that we won't take the first step. But praise his holy name, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, stood up. He said, Father, I'll go. Send me. I'll be the surety for them. I'll bring every one of them to your feet. Require it of my hand. And then there's a day when righteousness must come to the earth. Someone must come to keep the law to make it, to establish a righteousness for God's elect. And Christ the Savior, sitting there on the throne of God, stood up and said, Father, I'll go, send me. I'll go fight for my people. I'll go make them righteous by obeying the law for them. Beloved, Christ stood up from the throne of glory so that he could stoop and humble himself to become a man, to be the representative of his people, to save them from their sins. And in time, he appeared, did he not? He appeared in Bethlehem in a manger, lived a life of perfection, closely watched by everyone around him, closely watched by our Heavenly Father, and lived a life of absolute holiness. Nobody's done it before or since, and nobody ever will. But yet there came a day when the justice of God against the sin of God's elect had to be satisfied. The law demands death for sin, and so there's got to be death for sin. There's a, a worship song I came across, and the songwriter writes this. I was guilty with nothing to say, and they were coming to take me away when a voice from heaven was heard that said, let him go and take me instead. Oh, I should have been crucified, and I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, took my place. That crown of thorns, that's that spear in his side, and the unspeakable pain, it should have been mine. Those rusty nails were meant for me, yet Christ took them and let me go free. That's the time Christ, our substitute, stood up. Father, take me. Take me to be the sacrifice for my people. And when they came for him, he didn't run off. Rather, he stood and said, I am. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. You see, he allowed himself to be taken to Calvary's tree to pay the sin debt of his people, to both suffer and die in their place. And the gospel of our successful Savior, the success of his death, his burial, his resurrection, shall be preached throughout the whole world until the end of time. And that day is coming. The day when time will be no more is coming. There's going to be a day of resurrection, the day when these bodies will be raised from the grave, but you know, the resurrection is not an event. In that day of resurrection, we won't be running around looking for our loved ones that we buried. We won't be looking for them. For you see, the resurrection is not an event. Rather, the resurrection is a person. Our Lord told Martha at the graveside of her brother, Thy brother shall rise again. And she said, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha was so heartbroken. And our Lord said unto her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe that? If you believe Christ, you do. Martha said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You see, beloved, our hope of the resurrection is that Christ is going to come. He's going to come back one more time and stand upon the earth. You see, that's why the believer is not interested in all the events surrounding their resurrection. I'm sure it'll be awesome. I'm sure it will be glorious when all these bodies rise from the grave. It'll be something. I have no doubt about that. But when all that's going on, there's only one thing the believer is going to care about. Just one thing. Seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Him coming. It's going to see Him and be with Him and to be like Him. Turn with me to Job chapter 19. The book of Job was written before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So this is the oldest writings we have, the oldest statement we have from a believer. And this is what Job was looking for the first time that Christ came, and Job was looking for Christ to return again. Job chapter 19, verse 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, after I am returned to dust, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eye shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I'm going to rise again in that day when the Savior stands upon the earth. What a day that will be, to see the Savior stand upon this earth in absolute victory. Then there'll come a day of judgment. We must all appear before the mercy seat of Christ. We'll see many come before our Lord. They're pretty sure about themselves. They're pretty sure how this thing is going to go. And sadly, many, many, not a few, but many will come before him pleading all the religious things that they've done. Lord, we preached in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did miracles and wonders in your name. And we'll watch the Lord tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Those are sobering words. I don't care who you are. Those are words that you ought not pass over lightly. Someone who has no hope, someone who is without God in the world, knowing his sin, knowing his guilt, knowing who and what he is, fears to appear before the judge of all the earth, who will judge everything in absolute holiness. But those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ have nothing whatsoever to fear. Nothing. And why is that? Because, beloved, He stands for our help. Indeed, He stood for us. And because He stood for us, 
we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, (laughs) because as he is, so are we in this world. Beloved, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. When it's time for me in judgment, I'll not be full of fear, for Christ will stand for my help, and he'll stand when my name is called. You see, I'm not going to have to stand before the judgment bar of God's justice in myself. I'm not going to have to stand there with my works or my faith or my guilt because Christ will stand for my help. When my name is called, Christ will stand and say, I'm here. And our Heavenly Father will be satisfied to the uttermost and say of His only begotten Son, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Christ stands to defend His people. And when He does, He defends His people simply by who He is. Just His presence and glory defends His people. David says in verse 2, Take hold of shield and buckler. Take hold of shield and buckler. Well, beloved, Our shield and buckler is Christ. Turn with me to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And look there with me in verse 30. God's word declares in Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. And turn over there, look with me in Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 20. Beloved, Christ is our shield. Christ is our buckler. Christ is our defense. Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help, and He is our shield. Beloved, everything that defends us is Christ, for He is our defense. And then thirdly, Christ is our salvation. In the latter part of verse 3 of Psalm 35, David says, Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Oh, what words to hear the Savior say when He testifies through His Spirit, with your spirit, I am thy salvation. Now, what is it that a sinner needs to have in order to be saved? Just one word. What is it that a sinner needs to be saved? Don't make it complicated. God's Word doesn't make it complicated. Rather, it's men untaught of the Lord that make it complicated. Turn with me to 1 John 1 John chapter 5. And look there with me in verse 12. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. God's word declares, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So what is it that a sinner needs to have in order to be saved? In order to have eternal life? Christ. 
God's only begotten Son. He that hath the Son, he that hath Christ, hath everlasting life. And a sinner needs to be saved from sin. Christ was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God of Him in, in, in Him. Further, Christ has delivered us from the damning power of sin. He already suffered as our substitute, and so we're delivered from that. Christ has delivered His people from the controlling power of sin. Now hold on, Pastor. That's not very comforting to me. I still sin, and everything I do is sin. Well, you're absolutely right. Everything we do is sin. For God has yet to deliver His people from the presence of sin. But He's delivered His people from the controlling power of sin. You who believe on Christ, there was a day that you didn't believe on Christ. There was a day when you didn't love Christ. There was a day when you didn't want to bow to Him. There was a day when you would not and could not surrender to Him. And no matter what, left to yourself, you couldn't and wouldn't do that. There was a day that no matter how much you read or how much you memorized, no matter how many times you opened this book, God's Word, you couldn't see Him, could you? And now, and now you do. And now you do. Well, what happened? God caused you to be born again, born from above. He delivered you from the controlling power of sin that stopped you from being able to believe Christ. The best definition I've ever heard of sin is what our Lord said. He defined it this way. Of sin because you do not believe on me. <laughs> He's delivered you, beloved, from the controlling power of sin. And how do I know that? Because you believe on Christ. <laughs> and now, you can't not believe Him. Beloved, rejoice. God made you sorrowful to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to re be repented of. And so, beloved, you believe Him because you've been born again. You've been delivered from the controlling power of sin. So now you believe Christ. You love Christ. You love to hear Him preached. You love to rest in Christ, who is our salvation. He delivered us from the controlling power of sin. So just hold Him, beloved, because He's holding us. For there's a day coming when He's going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. You see, He shall save His people from their sins. A sinner needs to be saved from the curse of the law. Justice has to be satisfied. The law of God must be satisfied. Well, Christ delivered us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. The sinner needs to be saved from condemnation. And God's word declares, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The sinner needs to be saved from this world. Well, be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. You see, everything we need, everything we need, is found in just one place. And that place is a person. For everything we need is Christ. My one ardent prayer, my only desire, 
My only goal in preaching is that those who hear me preach know Christ. Because if you've got Him, you've got it all. You've got it all. Well, if that's true, if that's true, what should we do? If Christ is my salvation, if I've got Him, and I've got it all, then what should I do? Do what David does right here and seek Him. Pray to Him, Lord, say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Lord, speak comfort to my heart. Reveal yourself to me so that I know you are indeed my salvation. Well, how does God speak to any son of Adam? Is he going to speak to you audibly? Is he going to speak to you in a dream? Well, when God speaks to any son of Adam, there's only one way he does it in these last days, and that's by his word. And this word is the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews said, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. So let's seek him. Let's say with David, Lord, say to my soul, I am thy salvation. Lord, you've saved others, save me. Lord, you promised mercy to sinners, be merciful to me, the sinner. And if we ever hear him speak, if we ever hear Christ speak to the heart, if we hear him with the ear of faith, this is what we'll know. Christ is all of my salvation. If Christ ever speaks to the heart and he says, I am thy salvation, you know what we'll say? We'll say the same thing Simeon said. Lord, let me depart in peace now. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Oh, I pray that the Lord may bless every one of us gathered here this morning to do that very thing. And if he does, if he reveals himself in us, we'll say what David says in verse 9. Psalm 35, verse 9. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Verse 28. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Amen.